In today's podcast, we're going to talk to one of the brightest and visionary minds in the field of education. But more importantly, he embodies what it is to be a great leader. He's very strategic, very visionary, but he's also what we call a shepherd of the talent. He invests in and tremendously cares for every member of his team, and he's also a great man. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about leadership loneliness, and we all have experienced that at times, and he's going to present to you five steps to work through leadership loneliness. I'm really excited about this podcast today, so let's go. Hey there, I'm Steve Van Remortel, Chief Strategist and Talent Advisor for Stop the Vanilla and the host of the Stop the Vanilla Experience, where we help you achieve your vision for your business and your career in life by having the right strategy and the right talent. In your business, when your talent plan and talent decisions are based on your strategy, your company will accelerate towards your vision and achieve record profitability and growth. And in your career in life, when you have the right strategy based on your natural talents, you will love what you do, deliver it naturally, excel at it, and get rewarded for it, allowing you to live the life you want. It's about strategy and talent. Strategy and talent plan for your business, strategy and talent plan for your career in life. Because there's nothing you can achieve in your business and life with the right strategy and right talent. There's an old saying that it can be lonely at the top. And that statement has never been more true during this pandemic. Spending eight to nine hours a day in the same room at the same desk, no social interaction with your team and colleagues, that old saying holds more weight than ever before. And today on our podcast, we welcome a leader who has the heart for helping leaders on their journey out of loneliness. So please welcome Damien LaCroix to the Stop the Vanilla Experience. Good to have you, Damien. Thanks, Steve. Excited to be here. So let's first start setting a little context, okay? So, um, you know, in the intro, we gave your background to help people understand who you are, but what's the origin of the story that brought you to recognize leadership loneliness and that, you know, made it such a focal point for you in helping leaders get through it. Talk to us about that. Yeah, thank you. I think it begins back in 2005, Steve, when I became the fifth superintendent in six years in the Howard Swamico School District. We had lost two community referenda uh, for new buildings. Uh, we were on the verge of losing a third. I would say that our community was distrustful, our board was dysfunctional, and our staff, in many ways, was disillusioned just by the leadership turnover. It was this, this carousel of new leaders uh, every year. And I remember standing uh, in the hallway because I had been an elementary principal in the school district before becoming superintendent. And it was late in the day, and the lights were off. And I remember one of my parents coming down the hallway, and he stopped about 10 feet from me, and he turned his head and furrowed his brow. And in a sarcastic voice, he said to me, did you even think about it before you said yes to the job? And <laughs> You know, uh, what he didn't realize, and I didn't realize at the time, and you guys teach this here all the time, is that when you wrap your talent, right, around your passion, uh, you don't need to think about it. It yeah. becomes a natural response. And for me, my talent uh, is leadership, and my passion is educating and supporting children and families in our community uh, through the educational process. So uh, over the last 16 years, there have been, you know, seasons, ups and downs uh, of leadership, and 
Uh, I call them defining moments where um, you sometimes feel like you're, you're lonely in a crowded room, right? And so um, really to become the best version of yourself, you have to have some coping skills. And the question isn't if you're going to be lonely as a leader. The question is really, when you're lonely as a leader, what do, you, what do you do about it? I love the Mother Teresa quote. She said, loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted is the most terrible poverty. Wow. I think that's true for leaders, and I think many people are feeling that way in the midst of this pandemic. Yeah, yeah. So when I think of loneliness, I think of physical loneliness, like I'm not by myself or, you know, that I'm with someone. I'm having that social interaction. But... In the context of how you're looking at leadership loneliness and how you help leaders work out of it, um, how do you define leadership loneliness? What is that, just to help our listeners understand what you mean by that? Yeah, my understanding of this topic really um, took a turn back in 2017. I was reading a Harvard Business Review article. Uh, The title of the article was Connecting at Work. We are more connected than ever, but loneliness is an epidemic. Mm. Uh, Now, that's a catchy title, right? But when I saw the author of the title, it really uh, uh, intrigued me because the author was former Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Murthy. Uh, He went on to define loneliness as this subjective feeling uh, a person has of of feeling inadequate uh, with a loss of social connections. And that's, to me, that's really a fancy or a technical or a clinical way of uh, describing what I think we all have as three basic needs. Uh, I think we all have this inherent need to be seen, to be known, and to be understood. So whether you're the superintendent of the school district, whether you're a board member, uh, whether you're a parent, uh, a student, a teacher, a custodian, the bus driver, we all have this need to be seen, to be known, and to be understood. And I think when that's not present, it can contribute to this feeling of isolation. And that's a dangerous state of mind. When you're in a, a, a frame of mind where you're feeling isolated and, and alone uh, for a persistent period of time, I don't think that's healthy. And I mm-hmm. think that's when people um, really make some decisions that, that aren't good for them or for others around them, particularly from a leadership standpoint. Yeah. yeah. So let's just break that down real quick. Seen, known, and understood. So spend a minute on each of those. What does being seen mean? What does being known mean? And what does being understood mean? Yeah, well, let me tell a story to to illustrate the point. You know, Tom Peters talks about management by walking around. And I try to, uh, I try to interject a fair amount of that into my leadership style. So I was out at one of our elementary schools doing uh, listening sessions um, recently. And uh, they're they're open forums where anyone who wants to come in and, and see me can just talk about how things are going in our, our school district. And I had a lunchroom playground supervisor uh, come in to see me. And as he entered the room, uh, fortunately, I was able to identify him by name. And uh, he sat down and we had a meaningful conversation about his experience as a lunchroom playground supervisor at this elementary school. Now, in the pecking order, uh, right, wrong, or otherwise, you know, a lunchroom, a lunchroom playground supervisor doesn't get a lot of acclaim. And yet it's arguably one of our most important jobs, right? Because you have to supervise children uh, in uncontrolled settings on the playground. And, you know, in those types of, yeah, in those types of environments, uh, things can happen if you're not at the top of your game. And, you know, that night he wrote me uh, an email and he said, number one, thank you for knowing me. Thank you for knowing my name and calling me by name. Thank you for taking the time to sit down, to listen, uh, really to understand in a sincere way 
uh, to how things are going for me. Uh, and, uh, you know, just thank you for caring uh, enough to, to be present uh, through the interaction. So it's a really basic example yeah. of what I'm talking about. Yeah. And through that interaction, uh, I was able to, I think, make a really positive impression on this person about who they are, not only professionally, but who they are personally. And so, you know, that's the leadership imperative, right? Uh, can you leverage your position of influence uh, to make others feel that you genuinely care and are concerned about who they are and what they do uh, for, the, for the organization? Mm. So... So we're all going to have this loneliness feeling. I mean, I, I connect with that. Um, you know, like if I'm, if we're f- facing a major challenge here at our company, it's grinding in my head. I feel lonely because I don't have anybody I can talk to about, you know, th- I mean, that's a simple example. What are, what are some of the signs that you see um, that you experience yourself or you see other leaders experiencing? What are some of the pain signs, the pain points of loneliness that someone says, hey, I feel that way. Because once we can identify something or once we recognize something, right, now we can do something about it. But if, but if we haven't identified it, then we can't do anything about it. So what are some of the pain points or signs that a, a leader's experiencing leadership loneliness? Yeah, I think, Steve, that leadership and criticism are synonymous, right? You mm-hmm. can't be a leader and, and not have to face criticism. And so the question I would ask the listeners is, what is your natural tendency when you are faced with criticism. Mm. I think the natural tendency for many of us is to recoil uh, in the face of negative feedback and to isolate. And that's the wrong approach. Uh, Instead, uh, we ought to lean in, press into the criticism rather than withdraw from the criticism because that's really where where true learning takes place. There Mm -hmm. are lessons that we can learn uh, in leadership uh, through loneliness if if we're willing to, to press in. And so the uh, this past weekend, I'm, I'm dealing with some challenges right now at work, and one of the ways I inspire myself when I'm feeling lonely is to, to watch a great historical movie or read a great historical book. And so one of my, one of my favorites is The Darkest Hour. I don't know if you've seen the movie or not, no. but it's, uh, it's May of 1940. Uh, Winston Churchill, against all odds, has just become prime minister of England. Europe has been almost completely overrun by the Nazi war machine. The British army is trapped on the beach at Dunkirk in Belgium, and uh, Churchill has this war cabinet. He's got, you know, a very diverse war cabinet. Two of his members of his war cabinet, the former prime minister and the secretary of state, are trying to undermine Churchill's leadership and are actually working behind his back in an effort uh, to negotiate a peace agreement through Mussolini with Hitler. You know, if you, so I don't know if you're, you're tracking this or whether you understand historically what this means, but England is on the verge of, of, of being overrun. And uh, Churchill is despondent. Uh, in the face of all this criticism, in the face of doubt and uncertainty, uh, you know, he, he, he's got some really interesting manners. I mean, he starts drinking and he starts isolating himself. And uh, there's the turning point in the movie is when his wife knocks on the bedroom door. He's all disheveled. He's in this pink robe. And his wife says, there's somebody here to see you. And, and he said, well, who is it? And she said, well, it's the king of England. Now imagine the king of England showing up at your house and you're all out of sorts. The king walks in recognizing the state that Churchill is in and gives him some personal encouragement. He says to Churchill, one time you gave me some advice and now I'm going to give the advice to you. When in doubt, go to the people and ask for their feedback. And he does that. 
And he, get, he gets dressed, he goes to the underground, he gets on the subway, and he starts dialoguing with the people of Great Britain in the middle of the war about what should they do? Should they surrender to England? Should they hold their ground and fight? And they inspire him in that moment to come back and really lead in a very powerful way through the rest of the war. So it's a great example of, you know, even the best of us uh, can get in these, these uh, you know, I call it the Valley of Vision, right? Uh, uh, Churchill uh, called it the, I think he called it the Black Dog. And, uh, you know, can you recognize that you're in that state? And I, I think the, the, the real lesson here is that uh, he had someone that came and offered encouragement. Do you have a person of influence in your life that can offer you encouragement when you're going through those rough spots. Yeah, I always call it jacking someone up. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's another way of, of saying it. Like they need yeah. them in the moment. They need yeah. that in the moment, right? So uh, obviously when I uh, am lonely, I don't go watching world history movies. <laughs> But everybody's got their technique, right? Well, I, was a, I was a history student in college. I, I majored in modern European history. I always had a so. saying that I don't like studying history. I want to make it. There you go. There you go. <laughs> but my technique for overcoming challenges and coming out of loneliness regarding them is something I, I use quite often is that when I face a challenge or I feel like I'm in a bad place, I give myself 24 hours to, uh, you know, to be frustrated, to be ticked off about it. Um, and, then, uh, and then I'll work out, get a good night's sleep, and then the next day, um, negative energy, positive energy, right? So my team knows in the first 24 hours. <laughs> well, just, Abe just Lincoln, let, him, let know, him work through it. If you know the story of Abe Lincoln, he, he often would battle these bouts of melancholy. And he had his fair share of critics during his time as president. And one of his strategies, to your point, was to write a letter, stick it in his desk drawer, and never send it. And that just gave him, you know, yeah, it was therapeutic for him. Yeah, similar, uh, similar. Very much so. Yeah. Okay, so we're starting to understand what leadership loneliness, loneliness means. Was there, was the kind of the moment, uh, kind of the light bulb for you, like, is this more prevalent in your industry, in the educational field? Um, is that what brought it, or what, did you see it amongst leaders all over the place? Uh, just talk a little bit about how you see it in your industry. Well, I think it's both, but yeah. particularly, particularly um, you know, in the role of the superintendency, which you know, most people don't understand even what a superintendent does. And I would just liken it to a CEO of an organization. And, uh, you know, most people probably don't uh, also know that the average superintendent lasts between three and six years, about three and a half years in an urban school district setting and about six years in a suburban setting, um, starting my 16th year, uh, which, which I'm, I'm uh, really grateful for and, and proud about. But uh, that's a lot lower than the private sector. If you compare that to a private mm -hmm. sector CEO, uh, and Harvard Business Review has got some great uh, data on this, uh, how can you affect organizational change? when you have the top person in your organization turning over every three to six yeah, years. that's a valid point. And I think we need to ask ourselves, what is the reason for that? And so uh, with this in mind, I was delivering a keynote address uh, to the Urban Superintendent Association of America a couple years ago in Boise. And so in the room are over 100 of the nation's top urban superintendents, along with uh, educational business partners, people that create educational products and services uh, for public education. And I asked them to respond to the following statement. The statement was this, throughout my career, I have often been lonely in leadership. 
And I used a tool called Poll Everywhere. In the moment, I was able to gauge the room, measure the room, and mm. uh, remarkably, 82% indicated strong agreement or agreement with this statement. So um, I think that's indicative uh, of, of a problem that we're facing as leaders, but I think specifically I've noticed uh, um, an increasing prevalence of that within within my sphere of influence with superintendents. Yeah, and obviously, you know, we've worked together at the Howard Swamical School District, and I've worked with other school districts, and I am blown away by the responsibility that superintendents have. So a typical CEO will have how many employees? 100,000, right? But then stack how many students you have in your district? Four, we just under 6,000 students. Yeah. So, I mean, think 4, of the responsibility families, right? in that. Right. So that three-to-year turn rate, I mean – how do you lengthen that? And we'll talk a little bit about how we move out of leadership loneliness. But I, I think the responsibility that superintendents have go way past CEO responsibilities. Now, you take out kind of the budgetary issues, not that you don't have them, but it's a little bit more fixed than it is would be in a for-profit setting. But 6,000 lives that you're responsible for, that, that like when I worked with um, – some of the superintendents, that overwhelmed me. Like, I just can't even imagine that. So that three- to six-year burn rate seems logical uh, in a way um, because the loneliness probably eventually just wears you down. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's a burden and a blessing that comes with, with leadership. And the blessing is you get to work in a field where you get to impact lives for a long period of time. And that gets me up early and keeps me up late. Yeah. Uh, you know, the burden is, um, <clears throat> you know, there's a fair amount of politics uh, that come with the role. Uh, you've got a very uh, broad and diverse con- constituency. Yes. Uh, you're dealing with uh, a family's most precious asset, its, it's children. And, yeah. of course, today uh, with social media and other tools that are at uh, the disposal of our stakeholders, uh, if someone doesn't like your decision, uh, you know, rather than calling you up about it, uh, it's probably just as common these days that I, I learn about it through social media. So <laughs> there are a number of forces uh, that kind of conspire against us from a leadership standpoint that can make the job quite lonely at times. Um, and I also feel like uh, in knowing you as well as I do that your heart is moving towards helping superintendents and leaders within education on this. So I mean, um, obviously, there's an opportunity there. And, um, and as you continue to grow in your role at Howard Swamical, that opportunity to help other leaders, obviously, is, I'm assuming, motivating you, inspiring you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I really envision myself as a leader of leaders. Uh, you've been instrumental in helping us with some of our, our team development work using behavioral science. And one of the highlights for me is when um, we can start an administrative team meeting and I can have uh, a couple of our leaders get up and just tell their leadership story. Uh, but they can give it language and they can give it context because they understand their behavioral style. And we often talk within the Howard Swamico School District about know your style, uh, own your style, and leverage your style, which we borrowed from Stop the Vanilla, right? <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I wonder, uh, and I've said this uh, in public settings, how many leaders really do, in fact, know their style so well that they can, uh, they can stand up and talk about it? You know, why do you lead the way you lead? You know, using the disc. I know I'm high D and I know I'm high I, right? So... I take on problems and challenges head on, and uh, my high eye gives me, you know, influence with others. Well, you know, there's, a, there's an upside and a downside to that if you can't regulate, but if you don't even know that, 
you can't own it, and then how do you how do you leverage it, right? Yeah. So, spent a lot of time and energy uh, from a leadership development standpoint talking about this, and of course, have shared some of those ideas with colleagues in the field mm-hmm. as well. So, we've talked about leadership loneliness. We've defined it. Uh, we've come to understand what it feels like, and and that probably all leaders face loneliness at some t- at some point. Once you recognize that you're there, okay. Um, I'm going through a, you know, a singular challenge in my life. And uh, as I think through it, it's, it's lonely, right? So what starts the journey out of loneliness? I'm lonely at times. You know, if I'm a leader, I'm like, man, I'm driving in the car. I feel alone. I'm thinking through this challenge. I feel alone. I'm in my office and no one's there, right? I feel alone. Um, how do you, where do you start? Let's talk about that. Yeah, I would say a couple of things. First of all, I think self-awareness is a hallmark of a healthy person and a quality leader, right? Uh, that's why the Greeks thousands of years ago said, know thyself, uh, the, you know, the ancient Greek aphorism. So when you, when you begin to sense that there's this void in your life and you begin to tune into it, uh, tune in the fact that something is missing in your life, uh, then, it's, then it requires action on your part, at least for me. I would say, you know, from a faith-based standpoint, you know, I believe in the power of prayer and the connection with my creator. And uh, when I'm feeling lonely, when I've had seasons of loneliness, it's caused me to step back and really ask, how is it with, with me and God, first of all? Uh, number two, I would say, you know, who have you surrounded yourself with uh, as a leader? And, you know, I think we uh, realistically have got the bandwidth to manage two to three maybe really solid friendships or accountability partner relationships. And one of the questions I ask leaders, Steve, is when you're in crisis, not if you're in crisis, but when you're in crisis, whether that's loneliness or otherwise, who are you going to call at midnight, excluding family members? I just want you to think about that for a second. I would venture to guess, particularly for uh, male leaders, that uh, the majority of them would struggle to come up with one or two people that they would really feel comfortable calling at midnight. And I think the corollary question is even more powerful. The corollary question is, who would call you? And when someone else is in crisis, who have you invested in? So much so that they'd pick the phone up and say, I know it's midnight, but I know Damien has got my back. I know Steve's got my back, and I can reach out uh, to these guys. And frankly, I had one of those the other night. It was 10, 15 at night. Earlier that evening, I had had Uh, a colleague who's a superintendent on the West Coast, he sent me a really unusual text. Um, And this is one of the top superintendents in America. And his text said that he was thinking about me as of late. He was hoping that all is well. He was sending his love, and he finished by saying, be safe, please, with an exclamation mark. And I thought that was so strange Mm -hmm. to get that message. I read it to my wife. I was sitting at the breakfast bar. I said, listen to this message. I just got... Uh, from someone uh, who she's uh, well acquainted with. And, you know, I couldn't help but to wonder, was, was this a goodbye message? <laughs> you know, sometimes you see that. Yeah, when it's a got person's... a feel to it. That yeah, way. so I picked the phone up and I called him. And, at 10, uh, what time was this? 10, 15 at night. No, he didn't pick up. So then I texted him uh, and uh, he responded about 15 minutes later. But that's my point. Uh, you need to have one or two key go-to people in your life, excluding family members, who know you so well that uh, calling them at 10, 15 at, or midnight is not considered out of the ordinary. Right. So yeah. that's yeah. an exceptional situation, but I think it's an important start to this process of getting out of leadership loneliness. Yeah, the, 
the the irony of you bringing up that accountability partner piece is that's that's our uh, that's our scoop of the week and our podcast this week because you know that's a huge part of our framework is that you have someone to live life with right we're not as human beings we're not meant to go it alone right and uh, going it alone irony spells loneliness right I mean so uh, we talk a lot about how how you select an account- accountability partner. Um, what the best accountability partner looks like for you. And, uh, and then I tell my story about accountability partners where, you know, really strong seven years accountability partners, and then it didn't, wasn't bringing as much value. And so we recognized that it was time to move on. And now I'm in the process of creating another one just because of the value they bring. I, I would tell you that, and I agree with you on this, that an accountability partner is to me the first step of the journey out of loneliness. Because when I have an accountability group, um, I know that when a challenge faces me, I have peace and comfort that I'm never going to go it alone. And obviously, I've built relationships with you know with people like yourself that I can rely on to be there. Um, but I also have my industry, you know, my industry group that I rely on as well. Um, and um, I know that when I have to go through something, I'm not going through it alone. And that eliminates my loneliness. Now, are there nights where I don't reach out to them or something like that, and I feel that loneliness? Yeah. So that's that's a valid point. So, um, what other what other strategies do you um, give leaders on uh, moving away from this loneliness and putting methodologies and structure in place that almost eliminates leadership loneliness? What else What else yeah. do you share? Yeah. Well, I've got five prescriptions that I'm leveraging from Dr. Murthy and the HBR article. I'll share those in a moment. Let me finish just the rest of the story for a second as it relates to the superintendent. I came to find out that uh, he had been receiving death threats uh, and actually had uh, police protection uh, at his house because of uh, the manner in which they were handling uh, the COVID pandemic in his school district. And so one of the things I did is I reached out to a mutual friend and we agreed, hey, we need to keep tabs. Uh, on this individual and uh, so he called him up the next day and I'll be following up with him this week so I think that's what uh, that's my point is really you know do you have a couple people in your corner that care about you and are are willing to go to the wall for you so thanks for bringing closure on that story yeah so uh, again Dr. Murthy from uh, the HVR article really outlined five uh, what he calls prescriptions for loneliness and I'll share his prescription then I'll editorialize a little bit on each one Uh, The first prescription he offers is that as leaders, we should evaluate uh, the current state of connections in our workplace. And uh, I think you and I were talking recently, Steve, about Gallup's State of the American Workplace study. And Gallup has 12 questions that every leader ought to be asking about their work environment. And what we know to be true is that based on Gallup's research, only 30% of the American workplace is actually engaged, right? They're excited about their work. They get up early. You know, they stay up late. You've been writing about this step. and speaking it's on this, right? It's a crazy Yeah, 50% are, are disengaged. They're just working for the weekend, right? Just punching the clock. And then 20%, remarkably, are actively disengaged. You know, they're willing to come in and sabotage the organization. I'm not talking about school. I'm just talking about Gallup's research in this case. So Gallup has these 12 questions. Uh, two of the 12, I think, are really relevant to this topic. The first question I like is, does your supervisor or someone at work seem to care about you as a person? Seems so basic, doesn't it? You know, does, does your supervisor care about you as a person? Number one. Number two, do you have a best friend at work? 
Hmm. My best friend just retired after 16 years of working together. Her name is Sharon, my assistant. And Props there. I'm, I'm in mourning. I mean, she, she knew me inside out, and she could read my mind and uh, just have so much love, admiration, and respect for her based on our 16-year working yeah, relationship. Great lady. Great lady. So that's, uh, that's number one. Number two is uh, leaders should build an understanding of high-quality relationships. And you, you just said it a moment ago. That, uh, leadership is not a solo sport, right? We are wired for community. We're wired for relationships. But you know, here's the challenge. Quality relationships require investment of time, care, and attention. I've said this to parents before, and I've got four kids, 19, uh, 21, 22, and 24. And the, the way they, they spell love is T-I-M-E. As I look back over a busy career, you know, I know there have been seasons where I didn't give them as much time as I would have liked. And the good news is my job's, my job's as a dad isn't done. It's just changing, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah. so high-quality relationships. Uh, number three is make social connections a strategic priority. I make it a point to have lunch or coffee with uh, one to two uh, of my, my coworkers per week. Uh, we're grabbing lunch, we're grabbing coffee, uh, and I'm just trying to find out what's happening in the world. And in fact, you know, interestingly enough, I'm using behavioral science uh, during those conversations. Uh, you had done a, a leadership uh, lesson with us called uh, Feed the Force yeah. at one of our end of the year meetings. And so I've got the, motiva the motivators of each one of my team members uh, in a report that you gave us. And part of what I'll do before I sit down for a coffee or a lunch with these leaders is I'll look at what motivates them. What are the key words uh, that excite them? What are the words that turn them off based upon their uh, th their motivators. So that's a great way of getting under the hood and creating social connections and making that a strategic priority. On the personal side, I'll, I'll do a date night with my wife every Wednesday night. Uh, we're just getting away, you know, and that's that's a way to combat personal loneliness, right? Mm -hmm. A couple of others. Uh, number four, encourage outreach to each other and accept help when offered. Uh, you know, I love the Brene Brown quote. She says that to be alive is to be vulnerable. And to be a leader is to be vulnerable every minute of the day. You don't get to opt out. And so we need to really model the way when it comes to not only giving help, but receiving help from others. And, you know, I was swamped last night at the end of the workday, and I texted one of my colleagues, and I said, I need your help with this project. Can I, can I depend on you? And not to feel embarrassed or ashamed to be able to do that. And he responded right away and said, of course. And then lastly, create opportunities to learn about your colleagues' personal lives. And we do that through the team development process, which we've learned from Stop the Vanilla. And we get up and just tell our story from beginning to end. And there's been tears emotions. Uh, and emotions. And that's been a powerful agent of transformation that has really galvanized us and bonded us as a leadership team. And everybody's got to do it. Everybody's yeah. got to get up and tell their story. And the thing that I tell teams all the time and leaders all the time is that everybody's got issues, right? And if they tell you they don't, that's their first issue. So people might say, well, I'm not sure I want to tell them about that part of my life. And I'm like, everybody in the room has a, an equivalent story to that. And the way we become a team and care for each other and connect is to understand that. Because after every team development exercise, um, the, the care and the connection and the, the compassion that teammates have for each other dramatically increased, right? Because they, they understand where they came from, their origin, right? Everyone's got an origin story, and a lot of us have origin issues, right? 
Um, and it's not to be shameful about. It's to put them out there so that we can build those connections, right? And if we have a miscommunication, we all, all of a sudden understand why, right? I like to say that empathy means that you feel that I feel the way that you feel. Well, you feel that I feel the way you feel. Well, how can how can I convey empathy based on that definition if I don't know if I don't know your story? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we have had some really breakthrough moments in that team development process with uh, leaders getting up and just and and sharing very transparently. Yeah, it had, it's powerful. I mean, I, I created that leadership team development process as an exercise to get the planning team ready to have the tough conversations, and it's turned out to be this break lo- breakthrough standalone process that affectionately around here we call getting a team in their underwear, right? Because when people are telling their story and they're telling emotionally telling their story, like how can you not work better together moving forward, right? So let's summarize uh, Dr. Murthy's prescription for loneliness. One was what is the current state of my connections? Um, I remember a couple of years ago when I put my life, updated my life map for the year and like my style, uh, similar to yours, is to have a couple thousand friends, but not have a couple really close friends. And I evaluated the state of my current connections and said, I want to build a couple close friends. And I actually had a conversation with two or three people that said, do you want to do this, right? And it was kind of a weird conversation, but like, do you want to be my friend? And, and I say that in a deep way, right? Like a deep friendship, like I'm going to be there for you, right? So that number one is evaluate your current state of connections and are they where you want them to be? Number two was understanding what a high quality relationship looks like. Is that, I'm on track with that? Yep, build understanding of high quality relationships. So define what that looks like. I can call them at midnight, right? That's right. Uh, I can share with them my worst. You my can worst. challenge me. Yeah. If you see yeah. some behaviors or attitudes in my life that are inconsistent with the values that I publicly profess, you've got permission to call me out on that. Yeah. The third one is making social connections a priority. So that's that's taking time to uh, um, to have those conversations, you know, a coffee or a lunch once a week, right? Yeah, that's yeah. just the relational date loop. night on Wednesday night, Correct. right? Yep. Yeah. Fourth one was encourage outreach. So help me understand that one a little bit better in the context of how Dr. Murthy put it here. Yeah, I, t- I talked about vulnerability in that context, but I'll give you an example. You know, in, in the, the midst of COVID, I had a business partner who knew this group of superintendents that I'm friends with from Alabama, uh, Washington State, Nebraska, uh, and the Midwest. And he said, let's do a virtual happy hour once a month. And he was coordinating that. And I'd never done that before. I thought it was kind of weird, actually. But, you know, it was good. We didn't talk shop. We didn't talk business. He wasn't trying to sell us anything. He just was the liaison that was bringing, you know, four superintendents together who we had connected with at conferences over time. And we were drinking a lemonade or something else, you know, at, at 5 p.m. But he, you know, so that's what I mean by yeah. uh, Be encourage outreach. Yeah, he yeah. was taking the lead on that. That wasn't even someone in my in my profession. It was a it was a business partner who we had come to know and, and become friends with. Yeah, one of the positives out of this whole pandemic for me personally as a family is every other week I have um, a Zoom meeting every Sunday night with my five brothers and sisters and my parents. Yeah, and it's really, we all look forward to it. And everybody goes around the room and updates on their lives. Um, uh, and so it's been really, really healthy for yeah, us. Yeah. And now we're doing that with our kids. That's great. So setting up a consistent time to connect. Great example. Yeah. So evaluate your current state. Understand what a high-quality relationship looks like to you. 
make those connections a priority, outreach to other people. And the last one, which um, I know is personal to you, and that's really learn about your colleagues' personal lives, yeah. right? Yeah. It's that's about right. developing the total person, that's right? right? You that's just right. can't worry about the work person. You got to worry about the personal person. And the, the irony that hits me regarding this topic is, is that in the thousands of leadership development processes that I've developed, over 50% of the time, the issues that are having the greatest impact on their work performance aren't at work. So if you ignore their personal challenges, you're missing the opportunity, right? And the irony is that this younger generation coming into our workforce, if you don't have a conversation with them about their personal life, they're going to go somewhere else, right? It's the way we started my strategic leadership team meeting this morning. We meet from 9 to 1130 every Tuesday with my cabinet. And the first question on the agenda is, how are you doing? Really? <laughs> you know, you don't get to fake it. Yeah. And, you know, how you choose to respond to that is your prerogative. Yeah. But uh, usually I go last. But this morning I said, listen, I was feeling a lot of stress and pressure because of some of the big decisions we're facing as a school system. And I got away on Saturday. I went to Door County and spent the day with my wife. And we hiked in Potawatomi State Park. Nice. And, and, you know, it was just a little insight into my personal life that it took all of 30 to 45 seconds to share that. But uh, I think all of those little touch points are meaningful. The cumulative effect of those uh, builds trust, builds unity, builds teamwork and commitment. The power, uh, let me say it this way, the impact on your culture of developing the total person will create an employer of choice culture, guaranteed. When everybody in that organization knows that you care for them professionally and personally, um, they'll run through a wall. They'll run through a wall. Um, and, and I've just seen that across so many different companies that that total person development is something that you have to implement into your organization. Okay, so as we wrap up our podcast here, what does it look like, Damien, when I have – when I'm not – I don't experience leadership loneliness anymore, Right. I don't want to say anymore because will we always or do we feel it and then we have a response to it to get out of it? So what does it look like when we've figured it out? Tell yeah, I, I don't think it's if, it's when, right? Yeah. Um, so. But, you know, I, th I think this isn't so much a problem that we solve as much as it is a dilemma that we have to manage because yeah. – Be aware of. Yeah, yeah. leadership uh, and loneliness um, – invariably go hand in hand. Uh, so the issue then becomes, well, when you recognize it, what are your strategies uh, or your coping mechanisms for getting out of it? And that's really been the, the basis that, uh, of the conversation here today. I love the, uh, you've heard this before, right? The message on the airlines when you, you strap in yeah. and they tell you, put your own oxygen mask on first in the event of an emergency. And you, let's not be be martyrs as leaders any longer, right? Uh, to kind of hunker down or go into a bunker mentality when we're coming under attack. Let's 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 fill our own bucket first. Let's attend to our our own health and wellness needs so that we can be good for others around us. So I think that would be one of the big takeaways I would encourage people to think about is you know how do you attend to your own health and wellness first uh, from a leadership standpoint, which includes relational connections to combat loneliness, so that you can be. Uh, you can realize your best self as a leader, and you can be a blessing to others. Yeah. We have a saying, too, when we do leadership development plans, that you can't lead others till you first lead self. And part of leading self is taking care of self. Yeah. And part of taking care of self is having healthy relationships, right? Um, so that, that makes a lot of sense. So as we wrap up our podcast, we have a, a feature called the single scoop. So for a listener that 
wants to do something about leadership loneliness, what's the one action plan or takeaway that you would impress upon them to take out of this podcast? What would it be? Yeah, I would pull out your uh, your cell phone and look at uh, uh, um, you know who's who's on your list, right? Uh, you know who do you, who do you have recorded in your in your what am I looking the the name that I'm looking for in your your list of addresses yeah, and the phone contacts, numbers right contacts, and yeah. sc- scroll your contact list and identify someone that you haven't talked to in a long period of time in fact identify three or four people you haven't contacted in a long period of time send them a text message right now and said hey and say hey I'm thinking about you. It's been a while since we've connected. I would love to connect. Uh, will you reach back out to me? And wait to see who contacts you first. And then ask yourself, for those that didn't contact you, what does that require on your part? And that's really uh, at the heart of combating loneliness is uh, reinforcing the key relationships you have and maybe uh, revisiting some relationships that you've let slip by the wayside because of busyness or distraction or whatever the case may be. Yeah. So in summary, the takeaways today is, uh, are that number one is in today's world, it's impossible for any leader not to feel loneliness at times, right? Especially in this pandemic, pandemic when we can't be together with our teams, right? And we, to a certain extent, can't be with our, our loved ones, right? In a lot of cases, like we can't go see our parents because we don't want to get them ill, right? So I would assume loneliness is at an all-time high. And the, the way that you get out of it is to recognize it, right? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little lonely. And then who are the people you can go to to help you get through it? As simple as that, right? And loneliness can't be a shameful thing, right? No, it's because part every, of life. Yeah, it, correct. It's part of life. And everyone's experiencing it. And so then once we recognize it, then how do we get the help we need to get through it? That's right. And that's by having a comrade or two that, you know, will jump in the foxhole with you when needed, right? Absolutely. At any time, anywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. So my encouragement to you today out of this podcast is where are you at? Think about a scale of 1 to 10, from 1 not lonely at all to 10, man, feeling some big-time leadership loneliness. Where are you at on that scale? And then the second question is, what are you going to do about it? I want to encourage you to find a way uh, out of leadership loneliness. And the best way to do that is to build a connected relationship with two or three people. Now, my approach always to that is somebody that's within your industry so they can walk a mile in your shoes. But obviously, you have other people in your life that can fill that role. So the takeaway today is move towards, move away from leadership loneliness and put the strategies in place to do it. I want to thank you for being here today, Damien. I mean, uh, this is a topic that is, uh, you know, right on with what we're all feeling. Um, So thanks for making time to come in. Um, If any of our listeners want to learn more about uh, you and the Howard Swamical School District, any way that they can do that? Any, any, um, yeah, they can just Google the Howard Swamical School District website. It's www.hssdschools.org. And okay. uh, my contact information is there and would happy to be, be happy to engage them. All right. All right. Well, thanks for being here. Um, and, uh, and I hope, I know this podcast brought huge, will bring huge value to a lot of people. So thanks again for being here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for spending some time today listening to the Stop the Vanilla Experience, where we explore how to achieve your vision for your business and your career in life with the right strategy and right talent. 
Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on either Apple or Spotify. And we encourage you to visit StopTheVanilla.com for a ton of resources, including signing up for the Weekly Scoop, which is bite-sized content on how to have the right plan and right talent in your organization, your career, and life. And always remember, those who plan, profit. Profit.